Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Nice. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your co-host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other co-host, Susan Fox. And with us today is the creator of the Children's Vampire Hunting Brigade, Mr. David Lucarelli. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is your third time with us, I think. Uh, I think it might be my second, but, you know, close yeah. enough. Well, um, well, apparently there's there's more vampires to hunt. There are. <laughs> So, uh, you have, you've got a Kickstarter going right now, mm-hmm. you know, cutting to the chase <laughs> and it's for the, the third book in the series. Yeah. So there's, it's a trilogy. Each one is a self-contained story, but it is part of a, an overall larger story arc, if you will. And, uh, so this one is called the children's vampire hunting brigade, all souls day. And it's the final story. And um, I have some exciting news. Uh, a couple hours ago, we just became fully funded on wow. Kickstarter. Wow! Wow! Well, so much for using this to beg. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to beg anymore, but I can still, I can, you know, obviously we're very proud of this book. We really think uh, it's the best thing we've ever done. So we do want to get it into as many hands as possible. And we still have 10 more days to do that. So we're very excited. What was your goal level? What uh, was 4,000. 4,000. Yeah. And I've we've seen the the previous books. Yeah. I, well, I've I've only seen the first one. Yeah, I think we have. We've only seen the first one completed, and I think you you had the first one done, and the second one was on the way. The okay. first time we spoke, and then uh, and now we've got the third one coming up. Um, for the listening audience that wasn't here first time around, tell us a little bit about the Children's Vampire Hunting Hunters Brigade. Hunting Brigade, yeah. So it's a coming-of-age gothic adventure. Um, it's been called a punk rock Buffy set in Scotland. Uh, it was inspired by something called the real-life Gorbel's Vampire Incident. So in real life, in the 1950s, uh, in one Scottish cemetery, hundreds of school kids went looking for a vampire over the course of several nights. And at the time, uh, it was considered mass hysteria, in our book, they found what they were looking for. They formed the brigade. A half century later, there's a couple juvenile delinquents named Gavin and Doug drinking in that graveyard the night the vampires come back. So this is based on actual historical events. That's oh, yeah. Except for the vampire. Except for the vampire, yeah. Right. Well, so there's all kinds of explanations for what may have um, 
inspired the Gorbals vampire incident. The current modern thinking is there was um, kind of an urban legend about the Southern Necropolis Cemetery, um, a sort of boogeyman called the Iron Man of the Gorbals. And parents used to tell their kids, uh, don't go to the cemetery after school because the Iron Man will get you. And really what that was about was the cemetery itself um, was kind of home to a bunch of vagrants and low-level criminals used to hang out there, and they didn't want their kids getting involved with anything to do with them. Um, so the, the current thinking is that story may have gotten conflated with an American horror comic that's surfaced in the last few years um, called The Vampire with Iron Teeth, and that may have inspired the children to do what they did. Um, another factor is there was a steel mill that ran um, – directly um, behind the cemetery 24 hours a day, and it was constantly belching forth smoke and red light into the night that would have made the cemetery perhaps a little spookier and scarier than it otherwise would have been. You have made sort of a study of urban legend. I've actually given talks about the Gorbals Vampire Incident. I know uh, uh, way, way too much about it, actually. What's interesting is sociologists put out a call to try to find some of the original, uh, now adults, that were vampire hunters in the 1950s. And they heard from some of them, but they also heard from a whole bunch of other imaginary monster hunters. Uh, and that is because the Gorbals, for whatever reason, seems to have a multi-generational uh, predilection towards hunting imaginary monsters. And that could be um, various generic ghosts or banshees or witches or vampires. It could also be uh, the White Lady or Spring-Heeled Jack, or any any number of um, odd supernatural characters. Who is the artist who's drawing your third book? So the artist uh, is Henry Ponciano. He's the same artist that's drawn all three volumes, and um, we've been working together now for five-plus years, and it's really we're really completely in sync with each other, you know, um, to the point where I think it's sometimes we're even reading each other's minds. Um, a lot has happened since, since I spoke to you guys. So, uh, let me just tell you really quickly. Um, after volume two came out, I got invited to be a guest at Glasgow comic con in Scotland. Hmm. Oh my. Yeah. So that was uh, a really exciting experience. Probably the trip of a lifetime, uh, for me so far. Um, I went over there, had my first sold out show, uh, got to give a lecture on the Gorbals Empire there. Um, some of the pages from my comic were actually used in a small exhibit about the Southern Necropolis Cemetery. So I got to see those on a museum wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I got my own private tour of the Southern Necropolis Cemetery, uh, by its caretaker, Colin Mackey. Um, you know, and so I got to see the the actual place where the incident took place. And Colin actually ends up as a character in Volume Three, All Souls, All Souls Day, because of course he must, right? And and how can you possibly pass up a real life character with a name like Colin Mackey? I Indeed. mean, that just sounds just tailor made to be in a comic book. Yes, and his nickname is the Happy Reaper. <laughs> you can't yeah. make this up, can you? I mean, well, you could, but no one would I believe could, it. But I didn't have to. <laughs> That's awesome. 
It must have been quite an experience seeing pages of your comic book on the walls in a museum. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And the whole time, you know, we traveled um, from Glasgow up around Loch Ness and back down to Edinburgh. Um, I was doing research for volume three. So, um, you know, everything from the uh, underground tour of the city of the dead that you can take in Edinburgh um, to castle ruins, to the hotel we stayed in, all that, all that detail and all that stuff and all the wonderful Scottish people I met along the way uh, ended up being part of All Souls Day. So I, I got to see the stuff that I got right, and I got to see the, all the stuff that I got wrong. <laughs> how, how well did you do? I did pretty good with one exception. Um, so in real life, um, the Southern Necropolis Cemetery and the Northern Necropolis Cemetery – you might think that those are simply two, you know, the north and southern part of the same cemetery. They are actually two separate cemeteries. So in our book, um, when they go into a mausoleum, atop a mausoleum in the southern necropolis cemetery, well, there actually aren't any mausoleums in the southern necropolis, um, but there are plenty of them in the northern necropolis. So I, you know, I have to take a little bit of uh, accidental artistic license uh, on that one. Well, there's probably a few things in the comic book that happened that didn't really happen in the real Southern Necropolis either. Well, that's true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like supernatural phenomenon. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's another urban legend about the Southern Necropolis Cemetery uh, that that Henry and I did a short comic story on that came out in a book called Monsters and Other Scary Shit uh, from Wannabe Press, um, The Legend of the White Lady. So that one is kind of – she's kind of like the equivalent to the American urban legend of Bloody Mary, right? There's a, a statue there where um, if you walk around it three times and you say, white lady, white lady, white lady, uh, she supposedly comes alive and kills you. And so, of course, we, we had to do that while we were there, and, and uh, we made a story about it as well. It's interesting. It's – there are so many urban legends where um... – the mythical cursed character comes if you call their name three times. Right. That's yes. the magic number. A, that seems to be a commonality between a lot of these legends. What? You mean Beetlejuice didn't make it up? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, isn't that what you get when you squeeze Paul McCartney? I don't know. I've never had a chance to. <laughs> I wanted to. So yeah. you've you've already funded. So uh, so what are the perks? What are your stretch goals? Um, okay, so so um, we got some really cool stuff. Uh, one of the things you can get is an um, exclusive slipcase uh, that holds all three volumes that has ex um, exclusive cover art to it, yeah. um, and that you can actually um, get as an add-on at any level for a mere six dollars. Um, and let's see, if, if you go up high enough up the chain, you can get ex, uh, custom digital art by Henry. Uh, he will draw you or as a vampire hunter, whatever you want, um, single figure drawing. Uh, we're also uh, actually going to be doing a song about the brigade with my old band, um, so you get an EP that features that song at a certain level. And in terms of stretch goals – 
I think what we're going to do, I haven't actually announced this yet on the Kickstarter, but um, there's going to be uh, like a, at least 16-page supplement um, that's going to go with the trilogy that's going to have some real cool things like some unreleased art and um, you know pages that didn't make it into the various editions along the way. So uh, just a, a little something extra that will be exclusive to, to the Kickstarter. How hard is it to get a Kickstarter launched like this? How much legwork did you have to do before you pulled the trigger on the Kickstarter? Um, you know, I would say I started planning it last November. Um, it is kind of like working a full-time job for somebody that's that's never done it. Um, it, it can be very stressful. Um, there are... Um, some podcasts out there and some people that I, that I follow that have made it into a science as much as perhaps you possibly can. Um, uh, so comics launch that podcast, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, Russell Nolte. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he's run some very, very successful Kickstarters. So, um, and then there's, there's things that you can join as well. Um, comics launch has a bunch of different courses that you can take and and you know these guys are very good but of course in, in the end it's not it's never a science when you're when you're selling art so um you know you can take all of what they have to say and then it's always going to be a roll of the dice there's so many different projects out there uh I am I'm very pleased that uh, that yours has stood out and that you that you funded so early in the in the uh, in the cycle. Um, where where do you think the comic's going to go from here? Now that you've got this third one basically in the bag, when yeah. when does it uh, when do you get to finish and publish and what happens next? Well, so okay, um we will be shipping. Henry's actually got about 11 pages more of the book to finish, um, which is not ideal. You know, ideally I like to launch a Kickstarter with everything already done and in the can, but, uh, the way that our schedules worked out, it wasn't really feasible to do it that way this time, but we'll be delivering, um, sometime in August, uh, all three volumes. The other thing that, that Henry and I have been up to, uh, since we last spoke is we just had our first nationally released comic come out, a book called Tinseltown, uh, which is a period crime drama about one of the very first, uh, female police officers in Hollywood. Oh, uh, that's right. You'd mentioned her. Yeah. So when I talked to you last time, I, I had mentioned a title called Abigail O'Leary. Well, uh, the title character, Abigail O'Leary, became Abigail Moore, and the title of the book became Tinseltown, and it's part of Alterna's newsprint line. And um, issue one is out. It's doing very well. It's been gotten some great reviews, and issue two is uh, coming out in May. So we're very excited about that. You know, it's it's been compared to L.A. Confidential meets Boardwalk Empire, and um, – you know, some really, really glowing reviews. So um, very grateful for the way it's been received. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty stoked, actually. I need that. I need that. Yeah. Yeah. We, I think we've got to find ourselves a copy of that. Where, if we wanted to get a copy of it, where would we get it? Um, so it is 
distributed by Diamond, both nationally and internationally. Um, So your local comic book store should have a copy of it. If they're sold out or if they didn't order copies, um, you should be able to get them to reorder through Diamond. Failing that, you can buy it directly from alternacomics.com. So we might be able to go to uh, our nearby comic store, uh, Galaxy of Comics. You should, yes. over here on... uh, um, that's on Satikoy. It's on Satikoy and Louise here in uh, the in center scenic, of the San Fernando Valley. Yeah, scenic Lake Balboa. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. But I think I think it would be more appropriate to go find a comic book store near Universal City. And <laughs> well, I do know Universal City. Yes, it was inspired by um, the historical circumstances around Universal City in about 1915. In the fact that they had a female police chief, female uh, mayor, and female police officers, but at the same time, they were not above exploiting them uh, by marching them in short skirts and parades and things like that. What? Oh, short skirts and showbiz? I know. It's it's hard to imagine. Um, but anyhow, yeah, I know Universal City is definitely uh, definitely carrying the book as well. And the other thing I should mention about it is it's a tribute to my mother – um, who passed away a few years ago, but she was a police officer in Pittsburgh for 20 plus years. Oh my goodness. That must have been interesting growing up with a uh, police officer mom. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny when I look back on it. I mean, when you're, when you're a kid growing up, you don't really, uh, it's just what's, have, what you're living with. Yeah. You don't have a measuring stick to gauge things by really. Everything seems normal to you because you don't, you don't have that perspective. Um, but it was, it was interesting. I do remember, um, looking out the window to my front door when she would go out and worrying about her and sometimes things would happen. You know, one, at one point she was out on patrol or whatever and somebody threw a, a meat cleaver at her and, uh, it missed. <laughs> Luckily. Yeah. Yeah. So but she she did it all. She worked a wagon, drove a squad car, walked a beat, worked a desk. Um, and, you know, she really um, – she got a, a, a commendation, an award for um, finding and arresting a, a murderer wow. at, at one point. Um, and the thing is, her inspiration for wanting to be a police officer came from when she was a little girl – she was a big fan of the Nancy Drew books. So in in so many ways, you know, art is uh, inspired by life, but then life is inspired by art. How much do you think that informed your writing for uh, children's vampire hunting? Brigade? It all, it's all investigatory, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it, true. It, it does feel sort of like a crime drama. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. You know, I, I had never really put that together before, but I suppose I suppose you're right. They say that composers usually only have about what five to seven musical ideas, and then it's all about how they combine them. So I guess that might be one of mine. <laughs> so let's see, Vampire Hunting Brigade. Uh, this finishes the story. Are we going to see any? more exploration of these characters? I mean, it's... Well, they could all be eaten by the time we're done with it. I doubt <laughs> it, but, you know, anything can happen. Yeah. 
I don't think there's that there's going to be any more stories with the brigade, which doesn't mean that there's not going to be any more stories um, set in Glasgow. Or, um, you know, I have a lot of things that I want to do, um, but we'll see. I just did a podcast um, with the publisher from Alterna Comics a couple weeks ago, and he kind of casually mentioned that he was very happy with Tinseltown and he wouldn't mind putting out a sequel to it. So um, that's something that I've been percolating in the back of my mind. Um, I hope to return to Glasgow in 2019, uh, back to Glasgow Comic-Con to, you know, um, bring volume three with me, but also to, to do research. I think it's a really a fascinating area. And Loch Ness. I mean, that's got to be Monster Hunter Central. I mean, they've, they've, Ness, they've made their living on it all these years. Right. So so the funny thing about that is um, at the time of the Gorbals Vampire incident, they were looking for something to blame on American comic books. And they actually had parliamentary uh, style hearings talking about the difference between good imaginary monsters like Nessie, mm. who's good for the tourist trade and then bad imaginary monsters like the Gorbals vampire. Um, I found personally taking the, uh, the, the river cruise, uh, on Loch Ness that, uh, it really helps to get a good picture of the monster. If you start photographing the wake of the boat. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> they monsters like your, Whatever you've tossed out of the 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 boat, it's 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 like having uh, our dog Nemo come around after us because he knows that there's going to be something dropped. Right. Well, there's a lot more. There's a lot more uh, river action, you know, through the propellers of the boat. Right. So mm, if you're right. gonna if you're gonna photograph something that might look like something, uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Disturbance in the water. Exactly. I saw that you had that uh, Facebook video where somebody had. It said, a real authentic footage of the Loch Ness Monster. And they have this, this, uh, haunting, you know, this haunting music. And it's, it's, it builds in an anticipation and then up pops this plushy. A, a hand puppet with hand googly puppet. eyes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I think, I, I think I've seen that one too, actually. Um, the other thing that, uh, that that's going on in my world right now is I wrote a play called Dr. Zomba's Ghost Show of Terror. <laughs> and it is, <laughs> okay. it is a revival of uh, – okay. So in the 1950s, before they would do like haunted houses and stuff for Halloween, uh, they would put on a, what they call a ghost show. And that was kind of uh, – spooky funny scary magic show that had hypnotism and mind reading and monsters and ghosts and the climax would be a blackout sequence in which the audience is in total darkness surrounded by supernatural phenomena and they had all kinds of tricks for making that happen it's kind of a lost art we went back and we found and studied the original ghost show manuals from the 1950s and we're bringing it back to Hollywood for five shows this June as part of the Hollywood Fringe Fest. Oh, we got to go. Oh, wow. <laughs> that sounds like, wow. I had the stuff that you dig up. I mean, I, uh, you're finding pieces of history 
Yes. That that, uh, that were neglected and could have been lost. Yeah, I, this is well, this is stuff that that you just don't run across in your day to day meanderings and browsings on the internet. Unless you're a vampire. Unless you're a vampire, yeah. Right. Yeah. The the way that I found out about the ghost shows is I was at Comic Con and I stumbled on this book called Ghost Masters, which gives an excellent history of them. Unfortunately, it's out of print right now, so you can still find it on Amazon, but you have to pay an arm and a leg for it. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the best ghost shows from that period was uh, Dr. Silkini's ghost show. And the reason why I mentioned that is this is how much of a destiny is at work with uh, Dr. Zomba's ghost show of terror. The guy uh, that owned the rights to, to Dr. Silkini wanted to bring it back several years ago. And he settled on a magician comedian named David M. Beach to be the successor, to be the new Dr. Silkini. And uh, it didn't end up working out because the, the financing ended up falling through. Um, but David M. Beach is the star of Dr. Zamba's Ghost Show of Terror. Oh, okay. It's just a living touchstone to the... Yes, that the one that was handpicked to inherit the mantle is uh, finally going to do so. Yeah, that's wow. It's got to be satisfying for him. Oh, I think so. I think yeah, he's he's very excited about it. It's um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Fringe Fest, but uh, I have heard of it. Yes, uh, we are, but but not everybody in the listening audience, maybe. Right. So for those of you who, who don't know, um, basically within the the realm of Hollywood. Uh, through most of June, late um, late May and most of June this year, uh, they put on upwards of 300 and some, almost 400 different plays as part of the Fringe Fest. And I sort of discovered it last year and ended up going to a bunch of them and enjoyed them all. It's really, um, it's an amazing theater experience, you know, to have the option to go to all of these plays, and they are generally speaking plays by people um, that haven't necessarily done plays before, um, and or trying you know cool, interesting, sometimes avant-garde things. Um, so, you know, Doctor Zombas fits right in with that. So this would be stuff like Crap's Last Tape, and you know, what? The, it's a, a one man, um, one man theatrical show. I see. Uh, where you have the uh, the protagonist, whose name is Crap, uh, talk about his life and and the the way things sort of twisted around in his head, and he ends up uh, basically dying alone. <laughs> it's uh, Ooh, that's it's a comedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it's avant garde theater, and yeah. uh, a friend of mine uh, that I grew up with. Uh, ended up doing this as a one-man show for Cal State Northridge, uh, okay, for th in their theater department, and I saw it, and it was, it was eerie. <laughs> it was yeah. one of those one of those f very fringy theatrical experiences. Okay, yeah, there are a lot of like one-man shows that are part of the Fringe Fest. Uh, Doctor Zombies is actually has a cast of four. Um, we have Kara Lordigan as Irgor. Uh, <laughs> Tamara Torres as Sirena and Alessandro Martinez as uh, in his stage debut as Dracula. 
Alessandro. Yes. Sounds kind of like he'll kill you. <laughs> it's a great name for a vampire, right? It the is. funny thing is, you know, he's actually um, a really acclaimed uh, horror writer and horror poet who just got signed to a major agent, and I'm a fan of his work. But he looks like Dracula, like just normally in his day-to-day dress. So everybody else, I had to, you know, talk to them about what they were going to be wearing with him. I said, you know, just wear what you usually do. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. He didn't need the coaching. No. Yeah, our director, by the way, is Kevin Wetmore. He is the head of the theater department at LMU, so uh, oh, or really? Laval of Marymount University. I, um, I graduated from there, actually. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> so. um, yeah, so I, I find when you're doing something new that you've never done before, it really helps to surround yourself with a bunch of experienced, talented people that uh, that have done it, so they can tell you how it's done. <laughs> there you go. When you started the Children's Vampire Hunting Brigade, had you ever done anything like this before? Had you ever tried to do a graphic novel before? No. I I had had like a couple of short stories published. Um, and my primary background as a creative person was that I had played in bands. Uh, the one to primarily notice, a band called Dame Fortune. Um, we still have albums up on iTunes and whatnot. Um, but uh, I was a lifelong fan of the comic book form. And, and you know, I go to Comic-Con every year, like a pilgrimage to Mecca. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happened was I got married and I had a kid. And suddenly the idea of uh, getting signed and going on the road for months at a time didn't seem so appealing anymore. But I still, I still wanted a way to express myself creatively. And... Um, I had made three, four, five albums in my career as a musician, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't want to die without having made some comic books. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, it seems like you Great. moved in the right direction. The bedtime stories at his house must be epic. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because, um, after I finished with all these three plates spinning, uh, <laughs> there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of other, um, comics related projects that I want to sink my teeth into. And one of them is, uh, my first superhero comic that, that is, uh, inspired by some of the, the story ideas that my son and I came up with just playing with action figures. And I think we've, That's we've so come cool. up with some, yeah, you know, we've come up with some cool, interesting ideas and characters that, uh, that I haven't seen before, so it'll be fun. <laughs> the superheroes, the superhero genre is is a very full one. It is, it is, and I would certainly, you know, I I'm as much a fan of superheroes as anybody, but obviously it is very oversaturated. Um, so if I didn't think that we had a unique uh, take on it, I wouldn't even try to do it. Oh, now I'm really intrigued. Of course, the kid's you know, going to so, sooner or later is going to say, "Where's my cut?" And you're going to say, "I used it to raise you." <laughs> yes. No, he's quite the businessman. He's he's already worked out the percentage of all of our our sales and uh, oh, that's you know, hysterical. That's how to teach movie deals a kid. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so movie deals, Tinseltown sounds like a natural. It does, doesn't it? 
Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm I'm not adverse to that. I'm, you know, I I'm not one of these people that that see comic books as uh, just another version of a screenplay or whatever. I didn't I didn't write Tinseltown with that in mind, but um, we just did WonderCon and we did the Alterna Comics panel there. Uh, there was actually a fairly big time Hollywood producer that came up to me after the the panel and gave me his card and told me he wants to get together and talk to me about stuff. So, and there we have it. That was that this was a fixed point in time. It it was destined to happen. And now the next steps. Tinseltown, the motion picture. I'm, I'm calling it now. Well, you never know. Usually these things don't amount to anything, but, uh, fingers crossed. Well, how can you resist? How can you resist a title like that? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, holy cow! <laughs> it just seems like a natural fit, you know. And we could, you could get the, uh, who was it that played uh, Peggy Carter in the series? Oh yeah, yeah. You could get her. You Haley, know, in my uh... in my ideal world, I haven't actually cast Abigail Moore, but uh, I I could see Bob Zemeckis directing it. Mm. Yeah. Boy, <laughs> I would really like to see that. I, that would be just absolute fun. Right? <laughs> well, it's been a hoot. I'm very glad you stopped by to talk to us. And I'm very glad that your Kickstarter has done so well. This is so cool. Well, thank you so much, guys. It's it's a pleasure talking to you again and catching up with you. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. And uh, we got to slip on over there and get our slipcover version. Yeah, yeah. So go to Kickstarter, look up Children's Vampire Hunting Brigade All Souls Day. And like I said, we're fully funded. So at this point, it's a pre-order. When you're at your local comic book shop, ask them about Tinseltown from Alterna. It's part of the newsprint line, so it's only a buck fifty. And if you live in Hollywood or greater Los Angeles, uh, go look up the Hollywood Fringe Fest and Dr. Zomba's Ghost Show of Terror because tickets go on sale May 1st. Awesome. You have been listening to Krypton Radio's The Event Horizon, and we have been speaking with author and comic book producer <laughs> David Lucarelli. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for what has been episode 196 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for April 21st, 2018. Just four more episodes to go before we hit our 200-episode milestone. Our guest has been comic book writer, producer, and publisher David Lucarelli, creator of the popular graphic novel series The Children's Vampire Hunting Crusade. Your hosts this week have been Susan Fox and Gene Turnbow. This episode will air again tomorrow, Sunday, April 22nd, 2018, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. There will be two more air dates for this episode on the upcoming Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is nerd-supported geek culture radio. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Event Horizon, please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and agree to donate $5 a month. It will help keep your favorite geek radio station and shows like this one on the air and thriving. 
The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2018 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>